0: Expect to learn a new way. Each week, you'll hear trainings, listen in on many coaching sessions from people on your same path, and learn from other guest professionals. I'm so glad you've joined me. Welcome back to the Align Nutrition Podcast. This week's episode is from a podcast that I did with Victoria Myers, a dietitian behind Nourishing Women's Podcast. And I hope you'll enjoy the alternative perspective of hearing me interviewed. And you'll want to join us because we have a wonderful conversation. We discuss what it means to eat in line with your values, the difference between this idea of positive versus pathological nutrition, as well as some strategies and some signs of what to do when you feel a pull to lose weight, sure to come up as you're healing your relationship to food. As always, if you would like to work with me on figuring out your version of positive nutrition, inquire to become a client of mine and I am happy to help you navigate these complex issues and apply them to your situation. Without further ado, let's hop into the episode.
1: Welcome to the Nourishing Women podcast. Let me tell you all about Erica. Erica is a dietitian dedicated to teaching you how to worry less about food and be more present with the things in life that really matter. With over 10 years of experience, she believes your relationship with food is the foundation of discovering your version of well-being and health. Erica is a Certified Intuitive Eating Counselor, and she's an Eating Disorder Dietitian Supervisor. Beyond working with clients, she loves to connect and interact with her community on Instagram at Aligned Nutrition. And then she also has an incredible podcast called the Aligned Nutrition Podcast. She lives in Columbus, Ohio in her mid-century modern dream home with her fiance and dog, Allie. Erica and I have so much in common. I just realized her dog's name is Ellie. My cat's name is Ellie. And actually, before we hit record for this very podcast interview, we realized that we did the exact same internship like years and years ago. It was such an incredible experience getting to know Erica. I know you were going to love her so much too. So without further ado, let's jump into this amazing episode with guest Erica Drury. Hello, Erica. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I am so excited for this conversation. I just have to go ahead and say this because I'm like dying right now. For everybody who's listening, Erica and I just realized we went to the same dietetic internship. How cool (laughs) is that?
0: So cool. Small world,
1: small world. I'm like freaking out a little bit out of excitement. That is so, so cool. Okay, tell us for the person listening who's new to you and your work and wants to learn more about you before we get into like the longer
0: length journey to share who you are and the work that you do. Yes. So I am a private practice dietitian. I, my um, practice is Align Nutrition and I work with all eating disorders, people who struggle with a relationship to food to any degree. And yeah, I had a great little path getting to that. Sure, but sweet. Could you share a little bit about that with us today? Yeah. So when I left my internship, the same one you did, <laughs> I worked with the military and it was an amazing Wait, what? I did not know that about you. Oh, it was great. It was with, um, um, Camp Lejeune. Uh, So I worked with Marines, their families, retirees, and I was exposed to eating disorders immediately. Um, This is a high-risk population. There's a lot of trauma in their backgrounds. They're held to height and weight standards. There's a lot of other things that really happen with this population. So I was super fortunate to... It's cool because the job, you would work in the hospital and then also get to see people in a counseling setting. So if I saw, saw someone who was being treated in the psychiatry unit, I would be able to say, hey, okay, when you get discharged next week, come see me and we're going to pick up right where we left off. And it was just a really beautiful way to get connected with people who were kind of in crisis. And then when they were getting back into Um, their lives and transitioning back and just immediately seeing that connection of that external pressure to look a certain way or the way our past affected our relationship to food. And so it was easy to kind of move into private practice, working with eating disorders and very much understanding them. So how long ago did you start your own business, Align Nutrition? So I started, I had a private practice before that, Middle High Nutrition Therapy. And I started that in 2011. And word got out that I worked with eating disorders and I started getting all these referrals and realized that, you know, if I wanted to work with eating disorders, I really needed to do it in a way that was very exclusive. It's very specialized. And so I took kind of everything I was learning. They also required support outside of session and accountability that I wasn't really able to offer in my general private practice. I had several contractors, other dietitians working with me. And so when I designed a Nutrition. I started that in 2014, and really it was just born out of those a few years of experience in private practice and realizing what things I needed to add in. And with Align Nutrition, you know, you can contact me outside of session. We might be reviewing different, you know, food logs, or for some people in their recovery, that's not what we're reviewing. It just sort of depends. It's a really personalized, individual path with a lot, a lot of support. Yeah, you're incredible
1: at all those areas and. dietitian, I definitely look up to for sure. Knowing that you've been in private practice specifically in Aligned Nutrition since 2014, it just makes me curious. I mean, 2001, a lot has changed in the eating disorder landscape and a lot still needs to change. How do you personally feel like having been in this field for so long? Oh my
0: gosh, I would say really so much of it that has changed has been related to COVID. And because what I was doing before was so in-person and virtual as well with that connection outside of session, I mean, I would be going on grocery tours with people, meeting them for lunch, meeting them for dinner, meeting them in a coffee shop, taking walks, you know, doing, I had a client that I sat with in her car, which is where she used to over eat. And so we sat there and we talked through it, a lot of this exposure therapy. And so now I think really shifting to online, it's taking those same things, you know, walk me through your kitchen, um, keep me in your ear when you're in the grocery, show me your snacks, you know, let's eat a meal together. What's going on in your room behind you, you know, and just it's like, I think those are the biggest things that I've learned is really like, how do you keep evolving with people as the world changes? Because food is so wrapped up in our lifestyles and what we have going on, it's like meeting a client where they're at, I think is really analogous, you know? Yeah, it really is. And uh, just inspiring
1: to hear just even the ways that you've taken a lot of maybe what was previously done in person and really still made it part of the way that you practice in your philosophy of online business. I'm kind of curious
0: though, like, how do you feel like in person versus online? Do you have a preference for one versus the other? I don't have so much of a preference because they each have their own thing. Like I love the convenience of online. I love being able to have a client who can say, you know what, let's meet over my lunch hour. And it's easy for them to integrate it into their life versus maybe, um, I don't know about you, but it's like, when you do something so specialized, you know, it's having clients drive, you know, across the state to see me oh, or, wow. you know, being able to like a teenager driving after school, after practice, you know, 30 minutes on the highway, like all of these things where it's like, as much as I love connecting and being in the room with people, there is that convenience piece. And so a lot of times what I would do even pre-COVID is do in-person sessions intermixed with virtual to kind of get the best of both worlds in that way. So interesting to know, and um,
1: you know, I've only ever been in online business, so it's just interesting to hear like the different perspectives of that. Okay, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is, I love on your website that you shared that there's no perfect or right way to eat, that you can help your community discover their own version of health, and that's just like a really big mindset of this podcast is, you know, figuring out your own version of health. So I would love to hear your own thoughts or tools
0: that you use to help people discover that. Oh, yeah. I, I love thinking about... When I think about aligned with what matters and discovering your own version, it's this idea that you know, we have to kind of disengage from a lot of the identity and beliefs, whether that's from an eating disorder or diet culture, or maybe someone who has a negative past with food, whatever, you know, has kind of led you to a place where you might be listening to this podcast or evaluating your relationship with food and wellness. It's like really thinking about like, how do you, how do you kind of disengage from a lot of this external stuff and really start to get connected to yourself? And so, you know, on one hand, it might be evaluating, um, the level of priority that food has in your life. Um, you know, maybe it's in a place that's important, but at the moment it's kind of overly important. Maybe it's detracting, you know, from other areas of your life or other parts of your life. Uh, example of that might be, um, let's say that you were meeting up with a friend for happy hour and you were really excited to see that person and connect with them. But then that part of you that was stressed about food was, you know, worried about the dread, the guilt that you might feel after that if you were feeling guilty or uneasy about what you ended up eating while you were there. And that kind of like dual way that a stressful relationship to food can take us away from other things that matter to us and that we value, you know?
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and I think that just helps give someone maybe an idea, just some some ways to get started on that. If you had to say, like, what's one thing that someone listening could do today to to start that, what would be like the first thing that you would recommend?
0: I would take an inventory on all the areas of your life that matter to you. So maybe that's relationships, maybe that's your occupation, maybe that's a pursuit of something, whether that's a hobby or some type of recreational movement, or just a passion. Maybe it's a something you're a topic you're interested in. Um, maybe it's friendships. Maybe it's family. Um, maybe it's certain things that you're working on with yourself as a person. And then we have, you know, food and and movement and sleep and stress and other things like that. So think about what what almost like a if you were looking at a pie chart, you know, how much is food and exercise taking up um, for you? And maybe that's the amount of time that you spend thinking about food. Maybe it's not, you know, the, you know, the time that you spend actively engaging in exercise or preparing food, acquiring food, but really thinking about how much mental and physical space that that takes up in your life. And then start to You know, maybe set some goals or kind of make a hierarchy of like if it's in the wrong order or an order that doesn't feel good to you, starting to put that in an order that feels good. And then that's going to trickle down more into your day to day action. So if you were going to the happy hour, for example, uh, maybe, maybe you would have, uh, say, skipped a snack or felt really, you know, Worried about that. So if you think about, well, I'm going to say yes to this happy hour, and well, I'm not going to skip my snack in the afternoon, or well, I'm going to commit to showing up and and having a good time. Remind myself that this is an important part of my life. When I'm feeling that guilt later, see how that like big picture you can kind of pull down into your day to day. Priorities. That's where I would recommend someone start. It's a big start, though.
1: (laughs) It is, but I just think that's helpful. You know, I love the idea of the pie chart and just kind of visualizing yourself, like what is taking up my pie chart, right? Like, and is it too much Mm -hmm. of focus on certain areas, like you shared? One of the things I also wanted to dig in with you today. This is something I'm really excited about because it's not a specific concept we've talked about on the show just yet. But I, I learned from you these resources, and you were so kind of sent to me some like additional worksheets to learn about this through jessica setnick's work um, all about this concept of positive versus pathological nutrition so i would just love it if you could share with my audience who will definitely resonate with this deeply what is this concept of positive versus pathological nutrition and
0: maybe some examples of each Oh, yes. So absolutely. Jessica Setnick is a master at this topic and is who I learned from. And then there's also something that Jessica pulls from is the work of Dr. Stephen Bratman. He is who coined the term orthorexia. And orthorexia, it isn't um an officially um, classified eating disorder, but it's really looking at the kind of the degree of like obs- compulsion that we have an obsession around eating healthfully. So it can almost take on this like moralistic or religious kind of virtuous tone to it. And we can talk a bit more about that. But at a, at a higher level, that's what we're kind of pulling from to really start to evaluate positive versus pathological nutrition. And it's almost if we think of. If we think of nutrition and and a diet, a lot of us who are interested in health and wellness and food are going to see a certain diet essentially as a medication in a way and so you want to think about this you know dietary theory and it's not to pick on a dietary theory itself or you know a specific instant but more our our own relationship with it and say how is this medication, what are the side effects and what are the proposed benefits? So some examples of that might be, um, you know, if someone is, let's say someone has celiac disease and they're cutting gluten from their diet because it's something that their body reacts to, it's immune mediated response, then they're going to find that to be a positive elimination because it's helping, you know, protect from the, uh, the, um, disease that, that they're dealing with. And so, but there's still side effects, you know, they might um, not be able to eat certain things that they enjoyed if they got diagnosed later in life, maybe they can't, the, you know, the spaghetti recipe doesn't taste the same that they grew up with, or they might have to consider bringing a dinner roll if they're going to a restaurant that they're not sure has a gluten free option. Um, they might feel a bit of fear if something was cross-contaminated at a friend's house. So again, it's a medication, and it has these proposed benefits, but there's also these potential side effects. So a lot of times, that's a very specific example, but it kind of paints the picture of the process of really starting to evaluate positive versus pathological nutrition, and um, you know, looking at why are we approaching you know, why are we approaching food as medication in this way? And what, you know, what are some other things that we need to really consider? And and how is it affecting our life? You know, is it impacting our ability to focus on other things? Or is it leading to social isolation? And, you know, for that particular person who's thinking about positive versus pathological nutrition you know, would it be better for their health to relax a bit about food? um, Or would it be, you know, more beneficial to their health to be seeking this type of dietary theory? You want to riff on that a little bit? Yeah, go for it. So let's kind of walk through a couple different things. You know, in general, the idea of positive nutrition is seeing, again, kind of how I painted that picture with the, with the celiac disease and gluten-free. It's really health-seeking. Um, so, so maybe if we don't have celiac disease, we're, we're looking on including nutritious foods. We're going to the farmer's market. We're you know, investigating new recipes to use some in-season foods. We're doing things that are additive. We're motivated by a desire to live a healthy life. It's it's something that's promoting social interaction and relationships and really kind of this successful physical functioning. And it does allow for enjoyment and pleasure. You know, when we're looking at more of that pathological nutrition, it's causing isolation. It's interfering with relationships. It maybe is impairing functioning, Um, maybe even, you know, exclusion through unacceptable foods in a really profound way. Um, You know, maybe it's avoiding certain things that are leading to um, deficiencies, or maybe a lack of energy, you know, overall. So it's kind of like, I think positive nutrition, if we could boil it down, it's like additive, it's building into life, or as pathological as crowding out too many other things, which I think goes along with I didn't do this on purpose, but it kind of goes along with what we just talked about was, where does food fit into your life?
1: Oh, I love that so much. and I can just like clearly see the differences between the two. And I think you really helped our audience see that as well. And, you know, I've shared with you this before, but we really focus on that disordered eating spectrum of orthorexia. So a lot of the community you're talking to is, is kind of trying to figure that out, right? Like, am I someone who enjoys promoting health in my life or have I taken this too far? And I think you gave them some clear, specific examples there. I do want to point out some words that you said that really stood out to me, I wrote them down, isolation, impairing, interference, crowding out versus when you were talking about positive nutrition, it was words like additive and, you know, social interactions. And it just sounds so much more like life is being led and enjoyed. And if health is a value of yours, those health promoting behaviors are helping you to live a more joy-filled life where pathological nutrition is really isolating you
0: and taking you away from the things Life that really matter. Would you say that's true? Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, I can even throw in a couple things that people could be really kind of asking themselves. You know, if you're um, thinking about you know removing a food or avoiding a food or whatever. You know you want to think about like whether it 's relevant to you that 's why I use the celiac disease example because it was relevant for that person, mm-hmm. and it 's such um, a good example of like when that 's actually necessary versus when it 's not yes, exactly exactly and an irrelevant example um, for me would be maybe somebody who was following a very low carbohydrate lifestyle, and was also, you know, a marathon runner, you know, that might not be a really relevant type of exclusion to make, because it could be a detriment to your running performance, or your endurance, or your energy levels, and you know, how that works. So it's, again, that's not saying, you know, if this is you listening, this is what you must do. But it just is kind of this, you know, way to frame out, why are why are you avoiding something, or why are you removing something? Because, and this is why I reached out to you and invited you to be on um, my podcast was really looking at, gosh, you know, why why are we always focused on kind of removing things instead of this really additive framework where it just feels more life giving. It does feel more life-giving and uh, it
1: just, it frustrates me that we are so focused on that um, because we do a lot of like hormone and digestion work. In addition to intuitive eating work at a practice, I can't tell you how, how common it is to see people be like, okay, well, what foods do I need to take out of my diet? And, or they've seen the doctor who's told them to, to not eat truly a laundry list of foods. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why, right. I think it's, it's functional medicine. I mean, I hate to call it out, but that is where it's more common, right. Yeah. If they're being told them not to eat these foods. It's food sensitivity testing. It's so common and popular on social media, Mm -hmm. but I I just think it really misses the mark on what most positive nutrition means. Now, As you can hear from Erica and I, we're not saying it's never not the answer. It's not what we're saying at all, but why is it always what people immediately jump to? That's that's where I, I make issue
0: with it. A hundred percent. I always if I'm working with people, I figure out what can we be doing to add first before that is, you know, if we're thinking about it as a medication you know, all of those side effects that we potentially named, you know, before you're carrying food in a food container over to your friend's house, let's make sure that you have a wide variety of plant-based fiber to really bring variability into your gut biome to support you before we focus on removing things in order to, you know, help your body out. And so it's like, what can we do first um, before we we move to that? Exclusions are absolutely you know, fine, if, if that's what's necessary, or if that's the route that someone wants to take. Um, but is there anything that we can do before that, that might be easier? Um, and in terms of like, Easier, I mean, like an ability, you're able to exclude that food without shame, and you don't have, you know, cheat days or having to eat really differently from everyone else, or you're resilient, you know, you're prepared for that kind of accidental glitch, or do you punish yourself for even accidental mistakes, you know, how can you remain okay with what you're doing with food? Mm-hmm. Those are such concrete examples. And I really want to
1: point out how different that sounds than someone who has to use as an example, let's keep using celiac and having to eat gluten free for that, uh, using that in a positive nutrition way, because that's what's most health promoting for them. You know, the words you're saying are so different from, from that. Mm-hmm. I love that. Okay. That was just so helpful. I really appreciate you breaking that down, Eric. I think people are really going to resonate with that. And something else I want you to break down for us. I I love so many of your Instagram posts and your podcast episodes. Obviously, I just love all the work that you do. It's so important. You have a post though that talks about the reasons we we feel the pull to lose weight. And there's three reasons that you share. And I think that could be so helpful for someone because I think often what happens is we feel the desire to lose weight and we immediately act upon it. And we never think to question it. So could you share what those three reasons
0: were and how to not act upon them? Oh, absolutely! I love this because, like you probably know, in your work with clients as well, it's it is it's so normal to have these times that come up and these pulls. It would be, it would be almost impossible not to. In fact, I would go as far as to say somebody would be lying. <laughs> if
1: I agree they denied
0: <laughs> that they've ever filled a pull to lose weight.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like I hope the person listening knows this. Like it's, you're not a bad person for having that pull. It's just knowing what to
0: do with it. Oh, absolutely, and. You know, like you, I like to when I'm when I'm working with people, I like to first normalize things and then help find the patterns of like you said, it's taking a step back and understanding why are you feeling that pull? Because there's probably a very good reason or a number of them. And so I really kind of pulled together from my clinical, spe- clinical experience and working with clients of what are the most common times that I've noticed my clients really experiencing an intense pull to lose weight. And I'll name them first, and then we can talk more about them. But number one is really being triggered by an external source. And I think, uh, you know, we've already kind of used that word today, external, external, external. So that's obviously someone, maybe a friend who's lost weight, or an ad for a new diet program, or seeing an old photo of yourself. I really love to include ourselves, because a lot of times when we think of a comparison, we think of other people. No, we're comparing to past versions of ourselves as well. And like, it's from the outside. It's that external I wasn't thinking about this until I just saw this picture or until I just saw this ad. And so that's, that's the trigger. The idea of the trigger is that like you're being confronted with it. And like you said, you don't have to act on it. We want to acknowledge the feelings that come up, but we don't have to do anything about it. And then when we're thinking about the second one, and I don't know about you, Victoria, but for me, a lot of times I work with people for an extended period of time, because the second one is reliving similar memories from previous years. And you know that because it's when you're going on spring break and you're in your first year of healing your relationship, you're like, oh my gosh, I remember last year when I would have been you know, on a crazy diet right now, or it's New Year's, or it's my birthday, and typically I would have been, you know, quote unquote, doing something to change my body before this vacation. It's this cyclical moment in life, or ooh, I just went through a breakup, or ooh, I just like came across, you know, these pants that I used to love. Like there's, it's this cyclical nature. It's, it's knowing that it's going to happen, and then the third thing, and I think that all of three of these can be probably happening at the same time, is a coping mechanism for discomfort. And so maybe your body has changed or you're experiencing something difficult in your life. But really anything where you suddenly feel this urge that controlling your body size would make things easier. I think a lot of people who are subject to racism or fat phobia feel this all the time of, ooh, if I could fly and then I wouldn't have to ask for a steep belt extender or feel humiliated when I got on the airplane. If I could just lose weight before I go on this vacation, it would make everything so much easier or I would feel so much more acceptable or so much more attractive or worthwhile. It's that just really conditioned part of us that um, you know, unfortunately is a a reality of um, the culture that we live in.
1: Yeah and I really appreciate you mentioning that there are some people who are constantly living in that and that we have to be really respectful of that. I think for me that's a big part of why I've moved away from this idea of you know never thinking like we've talked about like never thinking that you won't want to lose weight because for some people that's just super unrealistic and that's not giving them tools for how to
0: navigate that as well. Yes. Oh my gosh. And that's I think a couple ways that you could consider navigating it. We've really have already covered the first one which is acknowledging that urge with compassion. Oh my gosh, that makes so much sense because, or I'm not surprised I feel this way because, and for some of us, you know, maybe it's processing it with a therapist, a friend that won't, you know, try to talk us out of our feelings or over-identify with us or whatever. Maybe it's journaling why this thought came up, getting kind of clarity on that. Um, And I think as a dietitian one of the biggest things that I'm always looking for to support people on is notice if this pull to lose weight impacts like your day-to-day eating or so I've, so let me give you an example of that. If I'm working with somebody and I'm like, gosh, you know, I just, I'm feeling really guilty all of a sudden about eating and, you know, I don't know why, because I was doing okay with some of this stuff before, or, oh, I've been feeling a pull to exercise more than, you know, the movement that I've been finding lately. And it's identifying, oh my gosh, it's this pull to lose weight. And that's what started to pressurize my day-to-day food and movement. Um, so I think it, that's the biggest place that I see it show up. And it's something I'm always poking around about. But, you know, if you find yourself like, you know, on a sales page for a program or you signed up for Noom and you're like, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? They told me it was psychology and it's not what I thought. It's weight loss <laughs> again, you know, <laughs> but it's like canceling, you know, canceling anything, getting honest with yourself. But again, with, with any, any of that shame, just, just drop it because I think that's obviously why we're talking about it right now is that it's, it's normal. um, And, and I think like, Another really practical thing um, is really that kind of that clothing because I don't know about you. Again, the cyclical nature. This is where this ties in. Is whenever I'm working with somebody, you know, spring comes up. Okay, warmer weather clothes. Some of my ones from last year don't feel the same or I don't feel comfortable. Okay, fall. Okay, winter. And so you're just kind of like living this cyclical thing and it's noticing if it's because of that. Is it your clothing or is it simply, you know, needing to give space to grieve your body? Um, You know, whether that, whether your body has changed or not. Um, some people even just grieve the the blissful ignorance that they had in their early days of restricting food and dieting. You know, it's just really, it's really just giving space to yourself and and getting used to this process of being triggered in some way to have a pull to lose weight, staying with yourself, taking care, and just really riding it out. Frankly,
1: yeah, and I also hear grieving not only the old body and the process that you're through, but also, um, the idolization, right. Of like eventually being thin and what that will give you is like, we spend so much time fixating on the fantasy there is a grieving process of letting that go too I hear that all the time from clients okay so acknowledge with compassion and then also clothing and just what we can consider what is bringing about these cyclical memories and work to change that over time that was so helpful again so so common to experience these things I love to give people tactical tools of how to navigate that so thank you so much for that Erica and thank you for this conversation this has been so helpful I know my community is going to love this so much. And when I want to ask you something. I ask every guest that comes on the show. I know this one resonates with you too. How do you practice wellness without obsession?
0: Mm. I was telling you offline. I love this this tagline and and philosophy behind your practice because it's so simply encompassing of 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 exactly what I believe in, and it's this. You know, idea of, I guess, because for me, I've been an intuitive eater for what, 13 years now. And fortunately, what emerges from that is just this kind of blind trust, this knowing. And so for me, wellness without obsession feels like a repeated practice of really just listening to yourself. You know, what foods am I into right now? How is my body feeling? What do I need out of food at the moment? Um, and really, just kind of consciously opting out. We talked today a few about this internal, external, and really just kind of focusing on my own internal well being. You know, how is my digestion? How is my energy? You know, do I need to go to the grocery? Like some of it's tactical. And then it just, it really feels the other part is just portable. It's just within me, almost like somebody who had a meditation practice or um, was really, you know, just kind of aware of themselves. So wellness without obsession feels like this internal force that is just telling me what I need, but it's not an inactive pattern. You know, I'm, I'm always with it. I'm always with my body. Internal force. I think that's the first time anyone's said that specific
1: wording. I love that though. It's, I love that idea. Thank you so much for that answer. And this conversation today, Erica, where can we find out more about you, your
0: work, learn all about you? Tell us all the places. Sure. Oh, absolutely. For me, probably the best way to connect with me is on my Instagram at Nutrition. And also my podcast, the Align Nutrition Podcast. On We've already talked about one of my posts today, but I love to really just connect with people and share and teach and inspire. And that's where I spend most of my time. And if you are interested about anything more about my podcast or my services, alignnutrition.com as well. And you have two different ways you work with people. Correct me if I'm wrong there, but you have a private practice and then also a membership group. Is that right? Yes. So I have, I work with Privately, one to one, and then I have a group setting as well. And I think, I think for people, it's just important to think about you know, do you like being connected to other people in this work? And I think a lot of people do, um, or do you really, you know, want to keep this stuff? just connected with one other person kind of behind closed doors. And hey, yeah, there's no real right way to approach it. But those are the two ways that I work with people now.
1: Yeah. I love that. I say the same thing too. It's like, you know, the, the needs and wants of a client versus an online course student can be somewhat different. Sometimes there are, you know, people do both, but oftentimes it's just a different want and need and level of care even, but I appreciate you sharing that Erica. Thank you so, so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me.
0: I love this conversation thanks to you for listening. Find me on Instagram at Align Nutrition. Let me know if you like this or if you have other topics or ideas for the podcast. I love hearing from you. If you've gotten something out of this, help us reach more people who need this message by subscribing in your podcast app. A nice rating and review also helps us reach more people and is so appreciated. I hope you enjoyed this episode and until next time.